Marketing success comes from identifying the right opportunities. And sponsoring the Up Next in Commerce podcast might just be the best opportunity you'll hear about today. With tens of thousands of listeners, expert creative, production, and strategic promotion teams at the helm, not to mention millions of impressions at the ready, this is a growth opportunity you should not ignore. Email me at stephanie at mission.org to see how your business can benefit from partnering with the Up Next in Commerce team. People think of it as super old school, but when I look at what's happening on Facebook or within digital marketing generally, it's the same things that the catalog industry has been doing for 30 years. In this digitally native world, it might be surprising to learn that an old school marketing tool is actually one of the most effective customer acquisition and retention tools. On this episode of Up Next in Commerce, Renee Lopes Halverson, the VP of Marketing and E-Commerce at Marine Layer, joined us to dive deep into the merits of catalog marketing. Renee cut her teeth in the marketing, e-commerce, and omni-channel world at The Gap and Athleta. Now she is guiding the team at Marine Layer using a data-driven and blended approach to marketing that has led to profitable customer acquisition, high lifetime customer value and retention, and a fully engaged customer base that is coming to stores with more buying intent than ever. How is she doing it? Find out on this episode. Up Next in Commerce is brought to you by Salesforce Commerce Cloud. Respond quickly to changing customer needs with flexible e-commerce connected to marketing, sales, and service. Deliver intelligent commerce experiences your customers can trust across every channel. Together, we're ready for what's next in commerce. Learn more at salesforce.com slash commerce. Welcome, everybody, to Up Next in Commerce, the number one show for all things e-commerce. This is your host, Stephanie Postles. And today, we're chatting with Renee Lopes-Halverson, the VP of Marketing and E-Commerce at Marine Layer. Renee, welcome to the show. Hey, Stephanie. How's it going? Going well. Yeah, excited to have you on. Yeah, I'm excited to be here, too. This is my first podcast, but I'm an avid podcast consumer, so I'm, I'm excited about this. Ooh, we are very eager to have be your first. So I saw that you have a uh, very interesting background of working at some good name brands. And I was hoping we could start there where you tell me a little bit about some of the previous work that you've done and what brought you to Marine Layer. So I've been at Marine Layer now for about five years. Um, But about before that, I spent eight years at Gap Inc. Um, I graduated college and like a lot of my peers thought it would be a good idea to get into investment banking. Um, but then about like a year and a half of that, I was like, what am I doing with my life? <laughs> this is exhausting. And I'm not particularly interested. I think I was working on like a petrochemical deal at one point. Um, so I wanted to join a company I was excited about and I found Gap. They were hiring in San Francisco and, um, Gap is amazing because I think they give you a lot of opportunity at the entry level to move around in the organization. So I feel like I really got a rad retail kind of like background experience and all things. I started in real estate finance um, and then I was able to join a corporate strategy team where we were really looking at um, like international expansion opportunities for Gap Inc. and acquisition opportunities. And then after about a year and a half of that, um, Gap Inc. had just acquired Athleta brand and I was a female athlete in college, was always a huge advocate of women in sports. So really wanted to join their team in whatever capacity it could get my way into the organization. <laughs> and they were hiring in marketing strategy. 
which was ended up being perfect for me. Um, because I think I have like a real passion for business analytics. Um, but then, uh, I also love, um, just like consumer trends and consumer behavior and just like how those things roll up on a macro level. So I, um, I joined the marketing strategy team. It was initially brought in to really, uh, look at a lot of the ways that Athleta was spending their marketing spend and inform if they were overspending. I think Gap was particularly concerned about how much Athleta was spending on their catalog. So they wanted like more of an objective strategy team to look at that investment and prove out that it was really driving incremental demand. Um, and it ended up just being like the most incredible experience. I spent uh, close to five years there and um, started kind of looking at the efficiency of catalog to drive incremental demand it ended up being when digital marketing was really taking off as an acquisition channel and retention channel. So spent a lot of time also kind of trying to like weigh out what's a stronger growth tool catalog or digital marketing was there when they were opening up a lot of their stores. So was thinking a lot about like omni channel customer health. Um, so loved that job. And I think after spending a little while, I was like, gosh, I want to take all this newfound knowledge and apply it to somewhere that's in, a younger growth stage and ended up meeting the CEO of Marine Layer. We hit it off. He told me that he really wanted to start a catalog. And I was like, gosh, I think I'm probably one of the youngest people in our industry that knows a lot about catalog. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I haven't actually heard that term in any of the interviews so far uh, referencing a catalog. So. Oh yeah. It's kind of funny. It's like an offline way to really do customer lookalike modeling. It's, uh, I think people think of it as super old school, but when I look at what's happening, on Facebook or within digital marketing generally, it's the same things that the catalog industry has been doing for, you know, like 30 years. Oh, it's interesting. Fun to, yeah. It's just kind of like using um, like customer LTV assumptions to inform how much you're willing to spend to acquire a buyer. Like that's the core principle that I think has been a part of catalog investing for 30 years. And I think now that's a huge part. That's the biggest part of, of digital marketing acquisition too. Very cool. So what kind of learnings did you take from Gap, um, especially around the catalog versus digital marketing and bring to Marine Layer? I think my biggest takeaway was actually like the importance of not being promotional and the importance of being really focused on long-term customer health. Um, it was like a stark contrast for me, I think, working in like the Gap and in our public world and then shifting over to the athletic world where they had like super, super high um, percentage of their transactions happening at full price. But um, I just think like getting into a discount space, it's a super slippery slope. And I think it was so exciting to watch within the athletic environment that you might have to spend a little bit more on marketing, spend more on brand, but what you end up driving is really high rates of retention. I think it makes your business a lot more predictable and healthy in the long term. So it's, it's like focusing on long-term brand health versus kind of like finding those like cheap thrills with little promotions here or there. Yep. Did you have to, when you joined Marine Layer, did you have to kind of shift your thinking? Because I'm thinking the people who are at Gap or like the consumers of Gap are maybe different than Athleta versus Marine Layer have you seen like different buying profiles and ways to connect with that audience and get people to buy full price? So Athleta and Marine Layer actually were more similar, um, but definitely like Athleta and the other brands I think are super different. The AOVs are pretty similar for Athleta and Marine Layer. 
Um, I think the category tends to be a really big driver of retention. So like it's known in our industry that if you are a bottoms focused uh, purveyor that you generally have a higher retention rate. Um, I think Athleta benefits from being uh, a bottoms focused like uh, activewear brand. So the retention rate's a little higher than what uh, I was expecting coming into Marine Lair. Yeah, like how did you shift? Yeah, like when the consumers may be different. I mean, Marine Layer and Athleta you're saying are kind of similar uh, versus Gap. Maybe they are used to like sales and things like that. How do you shift your uh, strategies and like your learnings that you took from those two brands to Marine Layer? It's really around how you focus on measurement of your marketing channels. When you're focusing on discounting, it's pretty easy to focus on like what was the comp over last week. Um, or, you know, how many units have we moved through? But I think when you're focusing on like long-term premium brands, you're really focusing on like, was it incremental? Could I have gotten more in the long term if I'd done it differently? Um, what was the impact to customer LTV? Um, what's the quality of customer that I'm bringing into my brand? Um, I guess like a big difference is that like for Marine Layer, we won't do a lot of promotions for um, in the acquisition stage. Because it's been proven for us that if you bring in a customer at like a lower price point item or like a lower overall transaction uh, or just like a bigger discount, those buyers won't repeat buy from you. So basically, you've like wasted that unit in selling it to them on their first transaction on a buyer that's not going to be a big part of our brand a year from now. So it definitely changes the marketing channels that you're looking at and also changes the way that you measure them. That's a really good point about not showcasing maybe a you know, like here's our discount $3 item and then wondering like, oh, hey, why didn't they, you know, come back and repeat buy or where'd they go? That's a, yeah, a really good point. Yeah. And even like more recently, we've been having a lot of internal conversations on whether or not we should be selling our cloth face coverings um, in like digital acquisition tools. So you're probably seeing there's a lot of brands out there that are including them in the way that they're trying to bring in customers to their brand. Our face coverings as a company are like very reasonably priced. We're kind of doing them more as like a service than like a a real like growth driver for our business. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think if we put them on our paid social channels and use them to acquire buyers, I'm sure it would get a lot of acquisitions, but I just don't know how healthy those acquisitions are a year from now. I don't know if they're going to be buying from us um, in 2021 and 2022. Yeah. That long-term vision. So key. well, maybe before I keep having you dive deeper and deeper, deeper, it'd be good to have you tell people who don't know what is Marine Layer and what is your role? Like, what is your day-to-day at Marine Layer? Yeah, uh, absolutely. <laughs> I get so excited talking about marketing. It's easy to forget the high-level stuff. Oh, me too. I was ready to ask you a thousand <laughs> more questions in the weeds. And I'm like, oh, wait, we probably should talk about the brand first so everyone knows <laughs> what you do. Totally. So uh, I'm the VP of marketing and e-commerce from Marine Layer. I joined the company five years ago as kind of like our director of e-commerce because Marine Layer was actually, um, it's a DTC brand, emerging DTC brand, but uh, it kind of grew its store base faster than it grew its e-commerce business. Um, When I joined in 2015, we had 10 stores. Um, Now we have 45. And really our online channel was like considered something to... um, like help with replenishment for people that were acquired in store and then they wanted to buy again online. So I think that's where my role started. Over time, we just started building out these new marketing channels to drive online growth. My responsibility started to include more and more marketing functions. And then um, more recently, I've started also uh, leading our creative and brand teams, which I really, really loved doing because I think there's 
so much value in like finding good tension between big brand ideas and then kind of like long-term health of brand and near-term uh, sales goals. Um, I guess zooming out again, Marine Layer uh, is a casual clothing uh, apparel brand. We are uh, based in San Francisco. Our company was founded in 2010 because our CEO, his girlfriend threw out his favorite shirt and he set out to recreate that like incredibly soft, broken in shirt. Um, and he did that. So it was really founded on like the best ever men's t-shirts. Our shirts are just like absolutely absurdly soft when you touch them. They make yes, a real- I can vouch for that. <laughs> That's awesome. And then he started uh, expanding the assortment for men's beyond uh, t-shirts. And then I want to say like a few years later than that, he started expanding into women's shirts. It's definitely been more of a tops focused business than bottoms. Although now we have some really um, strong business in women's bottoms in particular. Um, but now it's like a full assortment of like California casual wear. We really focus on making everything comfortable, soft. We want it to be your favorite. We talk about the importance of it being like a top of the stack t-shirt, the go-to item that you go for, like you're looking for it when it's coming out of the dryer because you want to wear it even though you have other ones in your closet. So there's a lot of like intention and love and care that goes into every single item of clothing that we make, whether it's like a dress or a t-shirt or outerwear. Um, it's really just around creating like timeless, emotional, comfortable pieces. That's great. So how do you convey that messaging on your website about how soft the fabric is? Like what techniques do you use, especially since you just got into helping tell the brand story and the product stories and all that? Like, what are you finding works when it comes to talking about something that ultimately it'd be nice to touch before you buy it. But if you can't do that, like, how are you conveying that message? Uh, so lots of little ways. I'd also just definitely say that this is something we're always working on improving as the technology changes a little bit online. Um, I think for us, it's communicating that our stuff is special and that it has like a fun emotional, um, connection to your stuff. It's not just any old t-shirt. We want you to feel like, you know, our brand is maybe an old friend of yours or it's a comfortable place to be. So it's in like every single tiny touch point. Um, the models that we use, how we style them, uh, the copy that we write for our shirts. It's not going to be just like a bunch of bullet points with the fiber makeup of the shirt. It's going to be describing like what you could put in a pocket or where we used to wear this shirt or what it was inspired by. Um, even our model notes, I think, will be like, so-and-so is a size medium and 5'10", but he also plays in a band on the weekends. Like, it's That's really, great. I think, and like bringing the product to life in a way that feels unexpected, but then at the same time, just like familiar and fun. I love that. Yeah. I think we'd like to play with more ways to test video on our site to really convey softness. Mm -hmm. um, and then the other thing I would just say is that like, I think our store experience is a really big part of our brand experience. And I do think it's what makes our site so successful. Like our best customers, this is true everywhere, but are the customers that shop online and in store. And I think it's because those customers have the benefit of touching our stuff, interacting with like our extremely friendly and mellow um, store associates. And they kind of understand like what's special about it, even without the context of the site. Um, and yeah, and then I'd also just add that like, it's another reason why I love catalog marketing because it just gives us more space to like express the fun of our brand and show off our lifestyle beyond just kind of like what you see in a flatter online experience. 
Um, we love just like shooting in fun, inspirational locations. Uh, our copy, I think, is like so funny and on point. I always love when I read the first draft of catalogs coming through that if they can just like make me smile. <laughs> yep. It's a multi-touch approach to really bring that softness to life, even if you're not in store. That's great. Yeah, I definitely am in the same camp about if copy makes me smile. I, yeah, uh, shopping should be fun. Like, I think that's a big part of what guides um, our store experience and our site experience. Like, we don't want to over-iterate on it. We don't need to be the most, like, innovative provider out there. We just want it to be, like, fun and make you smile where we can, just, like, bring a little bit more joy into your life. Not in, like, a cheesy way, but just in, like, an honest, approachable, fun way. Yeah. Yeah. I think Trader Joe's does a really good job too with the pamphlets they send out. I don't know if you've ever read them, but they have really good copy in them. And um, you also learn something and you're smiling throughout it. And you're like, oh, I kind of want to buy that bag of plantain chips also. Yeah. And I think it makes like a lasting impression, right? Like when you're thinking about where you're going to go shopping, you're like, gosh, I guess I'll go to Trader Joe's. Like um, we actually, we think really intentionally about um, our promotions that way too. Like we don't want to do a sale and have it just be a sale. Like the marketing, the lead story can't just be 70% off, although we would never go that deep, but, um, <laughs> or even like 20% off, like there has to be a story behind it. Is it like a funny story about, uh, a dad joke if it's a father's day story or is it like, Oh my gosh, one of my favorite promotions we ever did was when, um, there was a blackout in San Francisco <laughs> from like, yeah. I think we all woke up that day and like nobody had any power and we all came into the office, like terrible shower situations looking terrible. And we'd been, um, we we're like, let's just do a blackout sale, like a sale until the lights come back on. And I think there's like, there's a shared experience that you have with your customer and it makes your content just like more memorable. And honestly, like I think people are more likely to participate with a smile on their face. Yep. Yeah, I completely agree. So um, we mentioned catalogs earlier, but I kind of want to dive a little bit deeper because like I said, you're the first one who's come on the show who's really mentioned it and talked about this. And I'd love to hear about, you know, how you think about brands, like should they or should they not have a catalog? How do you measure performance? And like, how do you think about that as one of your acquisition or marketing channels? Yeah, I think, uh, great. I love talking about catalogs, so we can do this all day. <laughs> nice. Um, I think it's a real, like, great way to drive uh, the story of a brand lifestyle. So I feel like that kind of lets you know right off the bat, like if there's a, if it's, if it's not just a product, if we're just talking about like a couple of SKUs that we're building on top of, then I think it's hard to pull together a catalog. But if you have an assortment of like over a hundred items and there's a lifestyle component that you're trying to celebrate, then I feel like there might be good space for you to test into a catalog. I think it can also seem super intimidating from a cost standpoint but there's ways to pull together photo shoots in like a super scrappy way. Um, gosh, I think the first catalog Marine Lay ever, ever sent out, we used like models that were good friends of the brand and we shot nice. locally, like I think in the woods outside of Calistoga. <laughs> so <laughs> it doesn't, yeah, like when I was at Athleta, the budgets that we had for catalog content were much, much bigger than the type of stuff that we do for Marine Layer. Um, although we have definitely like professionalized our setup a little bit more. So, you know, I don't think the creative costs need to be super big. It's more about making sure that you have the breadth of assortment to support a catalog. Um, and I think in order to send something meaty out there, that's really going to drive uh, results. You, you want to send out like at least a, a 44 page catalog. 
So that's kind of where I'm getting to, like you probably want about a hundred different styles that you want to market in there. Um, so yeah, we started mailing catalogs in 2015 and our books were about 44 pages and now our assortment has grown. And so as our catalog, um, page count and also our catalog mail frequency. And I think what's really powerful about them is again, just like making that lasting impression on a customer about who you are um, and what you stand for and the breadth of assortment that you make. Um, I think people really knew Marine Layer as a t-shirt brand and the catalog, uh, especially for online buyers. And even now, like people that maybe buy their first product off of Instagram or something like that. And it's just one item. It just shows them how much more we do and, and what we're excited about. They're also very easy to overlook as I'm sure once people start sniffing around at the cost per piece and the CPAs associated with catalogs, they're not cheap. Um, but what I've found at Athleta and definitely at Marine Layer is that uh, people that you bring into the brand on catalog tend to be a lot more um, productive in the long run. So they're much, much healthier buyers than somebody that we maybe acquire through an Instagram ad. Very cool. So what is the average CPA to expect if someone were to start a catalog and how do you track that incrementality and like ROI on that? It's going to vary uh, like for so many different reasons, but um, gosh, I feel like anywhere between like a $70 CPA to like a hundred dollar CPA would make a lot of sense. I think tracking it, I feel like people are always so fascinated by how you do catalog tracking. I always get questions like, yeah. Do you have to, do you just track all the, all the orders that come in through the phone? <laughs> oh my God. No. Okay. I wasn't going to ask that. I was interested <laughs> in tracking, but I wasn't like, are you talking to people on the phone? <laughs> no, no, no. No one's calling in to place orders. I mean, a couple of people do per season, but it's not like you're getting tons and tons of people calling in to place orders. It's, yeah. um, it's more about like you're on a catalog matchback process. So you will know who you mailed your catalog to. And then you can use third-party providers to help you understand with all of the orders that were placed um, in the last, uh, you know, th two to four weeks when the catalog got in home, how many of them matched back to somebody who received a catalog. Um, so, you know, and then I think beyond that, once you start mailing a little bit, people can start to ask like, well, did these people place an order because they received a catalog or because I launched this new collection? And then I think you can start to do like holdout testing to see um, for the folks that mailed a catalog versus didn't mail a catalog, how powerful was the catalog for driving new demand? Um, so all those things are things that you can do to measure performance. But um, in my experience, I think, and in talking to other um, industry professionals, usually the first time you mail a catalog, like you feel it. <laughs> like yeah. your business was operating at a certain level for the last four weeks. And then all of a sudden it's operating at a different level for the next couple of weeks. Are you mailing catalogs to only current customers or are you also doing people who've never bought before? So we do a mix and uh, we do uh, to new customers and to um, existing buyers. As an existing buyers, I think it's, it's a really good retention tool. Um, and it was exciting. Like we've been measuring CLV for a while now, but to see just like the, it's like you kind of see the CLV of our brand for the average customers brought into our company and then when that catalog started getting mailed in like June, 2015, it just like moves up and then it kind of starts at a new baseline. So I definitely feel like it, it shifts our, our retention of our buyers. And then we also do it for customer acquisition. Um, so we work with data co-ops 
where we can rent names. Uh, so we never actually take possession of those names. I don't know who I'm mailing, but I just know that I'm mailing customers that look like my customers. Very cool. Yeah, that's great. And how, when it comes to performance, like if a lot of people come in and they're, you know, they have their digital marketing hat on and you're talking about catalogs, how should someone, you know, level set expectations for like, here's, you know, the type of performance and ROI you can expect for with catalogs versus digital marketing? Like, how do you level set that? Yeah, I mean, I think we look at the um, like CPA LTV ratio. Mm-hmm. So it, over like a three month time period or a six month time period or a year. So even though your CPAs are going to be higher for your catalog than for your digital acquisition business, I would expect that your LTVs will be a lot higher too. So for us, um, the ratio ends up working out the same or in a lot of years, sometimes even the ratio is a little higher for catalog. The complexity of catalog too that I just want to throw out there is like, um, it definitely less nimble, <laughs> which is, yeah. I think, frustrating for a lot of like uh, new age TTC folks, like, you know, you have to send your catalog creative out a month in advance and you can't always control exactly when it gets in home. Like if there's a a tornado, then, you know, the post office is going to mail it to certain post offices across the country. And so I think what can be frustrating is that like you can get what everything you, you can try to get it right. Um, in the catalog creative. And then when the catalog gets in home, maybe you're sold out of a certain item or you didn't get something, you have to pre-sell something because it's not actually available when you thought it was going to be available. Um, Like all those little things that are kind of hard, like those bigger moving pieces, they can really impact catalog performance. And I think with digital marketing, um, you know, you can be just like super nimble. Like if the item's not in stock, you just don't market that item. Um, So, you know, pros and cons to both. Yeah, that makes sense. So um, in our research, I saw that customer lifetime value is your number one metric. And I was wondering, are you willing to acquire customers at a loss? And if so, how much are you willing to take on? So we don't acquire customers at a loss. We focus on being profitable upon acquisition or uh, like, like zero to you know, positive dollars coming in on the first transaction. That's changed over the last couple of years. I think in some years, we've let it um, get up to about a zero to six month profitability time window. So we expect to be, you know, back in black six months after customers are acquired. I'm not an advocate for like one year to two year time periods. I just think there's like too much risk involved. Like I have a pretty good idea what's going to happen in the next six months and customers can be pretty predictable, but to kind of like focus on those longer time horizons. I don't know. That's just never really been like my appetite for risk or my company's appetite for risk. But I really feel like that decision is just a super um, specific decision made for every company based on where they are in their uh, growth stage and, you know, what kind of access to capital they have. Um, I think it's changed from RainLayer. And I think it's, it's fun for me now that we're focusing on being profitable on acquisition or better because I can take those dollars that we're getting at the first acquisition and I can invest them in new tools or I can invest them in uh, like improving our brand. And so it feels like a healthier ecosystem for us to operate in. Yep. Yeah, I completely agree. seems like a, a better approach, especially with everything that's going on right now. It's hard to oh predict what's going to happen next month, which makes you want to ask the question, how are you guys moving forward in this COVID environment? I mean, you were mentioning retail locations before, like what's changing and uh, what are some things that you're doing differently going forward? 
Yeah. Gosh, it's so funny because recently as a leadership team, we were looking back at our goals for the beginning of the year and kind of asked to like rethink those <laughs> given that everything's changed. Yep. And the one that stood out to me that kind of makes me laugh now is I had some goals around doing like bigger campaign marketing planning. Um, we're a really scrappy organization. And sometimes, you know, in January of this year, I thought we were almost too good at like whipping things into shape last minute and reworking copy or reworking kind of like direction of campaign really close to the finish line to the point where it like inhibited our ability to tell bigger stories across more marketing channels. Um, but now I'm like, Oh my goodness, we are, it's an awesome <laughs> value and strength to have to be really, really nimble. Um, you know, we are, our big change for us during COVID is that we're really reviewing all of our emails, like really close to when they get sent. We're not trying to, you know, create content on a Monday and send it on a Thursday. We might create a first draft of something on a Monday, but we'll keep reviewing it and make sure that the voice and tone and products that we're featuring all make sense, like up until a few hours before final send time. Um, so we're definitely just like reviewing content and we're also talking to our customers more frequently. Um, I think, in March when everything was changing so quickly and also our business was seeing a lot more softness as I think like COVID was becoming a huge, huge, huge reality. And the change was, you know, we were experiencing it personally and our customers were experiencing it. Um, there were moments when it just felt like <laughs> you were paralyzed into not wanting to do anything, like not wanting to send an email because you weren't sure what to say or not wanting to post on social because you didn't know what to say. Yep. I saw so many articles about that too. Like how should your brand, you know, discuss COVID and it seems oh, tricky yeah. because it's, you can get in trouble for anything these days and it feels hard to take a risk on any messaging or yeah, move forward at all. Oh, totally. And I feel like I even had conversations with my CEO about like pulling entire catalog mailings and just like these like very, very huge changes that were just about like the next couple of weeks, but like longer term stuff too. And what I think worked for my company is to just not stop to kind of like keep moving in the dark room. Um, there's that like metaphor when the lights go off and you just stop. And it's like, we just didn't do that. Like we forced ourselves to write the really hard email copy. And, you know, I think we used to have like me and my copywriter and my CEO review copy. And instead we invited a larger group to really help us think through what felt right. And that really helped we started emailing more frequently. So rather than sending emails like two to three times a week, we started emailing uh, four to five times a week uh, just because it felt like rather than sending these huge, big, long stories, we could just kind of tell these smaller point in time stories and just kind of keep our finger on the pulse more often. Um, and that seemed to really work for our customer. Um, and then I also think we just like forced ourselves to um, try new ideas that we've never tried before and make them work. Uh, we ended up shooting a catalog um, entirely in studio because we couldn't get outside. And um, it actually is one of my favorite catalogs we've ever created. So it got in home like May of this year. And I feel like it just forced our creative team to just think differently about everything we were doing. And it was really raw and vulnerable, but it's like, it's really awesome when you see that it yields um, great content. And then, you know, I'm also really proud for my company to speak up around Black Lives Matter. I think mm -hmm. as a company, we've definitely made it known that we're more of a progressive organization, 
but I think never really taken like such a bold, um, never made such a bold statement around an issue that we are passionate about. And I honestly think that like going through March and just learning how to be honest and real with each other and connecting with our customers in the way that we did, it really made us feel more um, empowered that we should be making bold statements across our platform about things that we believe in, especially when it has to do with human rights. And so it really helped us kind of guide how we responded to the Black Lives Matter movement um, in organic social and email and just what we've been doing as a brand. Yeah, that's great. I like the idea of leaning into it, not being scared to publish things. And um, yeah, yeah. I completely agree with that method of doing things. Oh, as I say, the other thing that I think we do now that we weren't doing beforehand is, um, well, one, we use Slack all the time, which I love Slack. <laughs> yes. I, it's too. funny to me that we were kind of late to the game on that one. But the other thing I was going to say is that we actually have team meetings every single morning. And I feel like we over invite, like when you're in the office, I feel like we have a tendency to, um, like try to limit meeting attendance because sometimes meetings just explode and then you feel like they are becoming unproductive. And I feel like we've been taking the opposite approach during COVID. We have like a 30 minute meeting with my entire team and that includes customer service to like e-commerce channel managers to somebody on our brand creative team and our copywriter. And it just helps to just like connect really quickly in the beginning of the day and make sure that everybody has the same information starting point for what's happening. Um, I'm sure that there's a lot of people that don't need to be there, but I think it's kind of like replicating that like water cooler environment or that like you're walking in and making eye contact with somebody or catching somebody in the bathroom. <laughs> yep. Yep. That's, that's made a big difference too. Do you think that you all will continue doing larger meetings like that? Cause I agree having people on board. So you're not having to retell things or having, you know, like one person tell another person, tell another person, and then the message is completely off. Like, do you think you're going to continue doing things like that even after, you know, when we can return to offices? I hope so. <laughs> I'm going to force yeah. my team to have a meeting every morning when we get in. I think there is something really nice. I think we've actually come together. We support each other more. I also think like role clarity has um, like solidified itself in a really strong way. And I think like, you know, there's not like kind of like a land grabbing around projects. Like everyone's just super clear around like who's doing what. And there's no kind of like, oh, I wish I was working on that. Or I wish I could contribute to that. Like it feels like there's more support um, across team members to get projects done. Yeah, very cool. So earlier we were talking about acquiring customers and you mentioned that you had a scrappy marketing team or your marketing efforts were scrappy. And I wanted to kind of dive into that a bit about you know how you're acquiring your customers and what channels you're finding the most success in and what that looks like behind the scenes. Yeah, I mean, the last couple of months have been a weird time <laughs> yes. for, um, for everything. But uh, I actually think for us, it's actually meant not really focusing on new channels. I'm starting to do that a little bit more now, like kind of poke my head up and think about what I want to test and do in 2021. But for us, it's really been just like focusing on things that we're already good at and just being like really, really thoughtful about brand creative. So the channels that have been most successful are um, like paid social, Facebook and Instagram and um, catalog continues to be really successful for us. Usually retail is an awesome channel for us to introduce ourselves to a lot of people, but our stores were closed for three months. So obviously that had a big impact on our business. But yeah, so those channels have been working for us. And then um, we have a pretty scrappy team. We do all of our own in-house creative, which again, I think has been really helpful in being iterative and um, making sure that we feel like all of our content is on brand. And yeah. 
Very cool. For the retail stores closing, are all of them opening back up or is it making you kind of rethink your retail strategy at all or what's your plans <laughs> going forward with that? Yeah, I think, gosh, it changes every couple of days. I want to say like 90% of our stores are opened. I think some of the stores in New York might still be closed and I'm not sure when this airs, so that might be different <laughs> then. But for the most part, our stores are back open. Um, we've been seeing that buyers are coming in and even though our traffic is down, that buyers are coming in with a lot of intent and we're seeing um, like much higher basket sizes and much higher conversion. So overall, I think kind of, um, I think like positively encouraged by what we're seeing in our retail channel around customer engagement through a pandemic. Um, but I think what's been really uh, exciting, um, maybe that's the wrong word, I feel like nothing's really exciting. <laughs> but um, when stores closed, I was nervous about how much we would lose the engagement from those buyers, like buyers that tend to participate in your retail channel. They do that for a reason. Like they're people that really like to touch the stuff before they buy it. And so I wasn't really sure what to expect from those buyers in shifting their purchases to online and how much I kind of call it retail migration we would see. But for the most part, it's been a lot higher than what I was expecting. So I feel good that like our higher contact strategy that we've had in the web channel or the web marketing tools has helped us like engage with all of our buyers, even if they're traditionally retail buyers. Got it. Did you have different um, marketing strategies to kind of keep those retail buyers engaged and reaching out to them more, maybe not through, you know, email offerings, but direct mail or something like that? Not really. <laughs> we talked okay. about it a few times, but then I feel like we just, it's hard to create so many different creative iterations. I think we just came from like, hey, it's one customer out there. So who are we talking to? We're talking to all these people. Um, and I think what we've been talking about hasn't really been channel specific. It's more like, you know, zeitgeist specific to everything that's happening in the world. Um, so I think that's, that's worked for us. Cool. So the one thing I was reading a bit about was something called the Respun program. I was hoping you could talk a little bit about that. So I was trying to think about how how that model works and the operating cost behind it and all that. And I was hoping you could touch on that a bit. Sure. I would love to. Um, Respun is a program that Marine Layer launched in November, 2018, where we actually recycle old customer t-shirts into new tees and sweatshirts. And what's cool about it is that we take any old shirt that our customers had does not need to be a Marine Layer shirt. Um, we give customers $5 per shirt of Marine Layer credit. And then we take their old shirts, we break them down to pulpy fiber and re-spin them into upcycled cotton. Um, and we also blend that upcycled cotton with a little bit of recycled poly and then use that new thread to make new shirts and new sweatshirts that are still absurdly soft, marine layer caliber product, but it's actually being made from 100% either upcycled or recycled materials. Um, it's a cool program because I think it does a lot of things. One, it defers shirts from landfills. So we've actually collected, I mean, this number is probably a little old now because it's from January of this year, but like over 170,000 shirts from our customers. Oh, wow. Um, I think it's fun that we get to reward them and give them rain layer credit. Um, but I also think it like really solves a problem for a lot of uh, people out there. Um, if you kind of go back to why marine layer was founded, it was because <laughs> our CEO did not want to get rid of his old favorite shirt. He wanted to keep wearing it and he loved it so much. 
And I think there really is like an emotional attachment to your clothing. Um, that's what we try to do in every single piece that we create. And when you have an emotional attachment to something, it feels very sad to throw it away <laughs> or give it to the Goodwill and not really know what's happening to it. So I think when we introduced this program, we were like honestly blown away by the interest in donating old shirts. And we've actually had a lot of fun even um, going through them because we process them at our headquarters. So some of them are like, there's really incredible stories behind the shirt. We've even reached out to some customers and shared that on our Instagram. Um, we also did a contest just sharing like the funniest shirt that we'd received through this program. So it's a nice way to connect with our customers um, and understand more about, you know, how they're what their stories are behind their clothes. That's really fun. Yeah. And then lastly, because I know this is an e-commerce driven podcast, uh, there's, it's in some ways we kind of think about Respawn like our loyalty program. So it's our way of like rewarding customers for sharing our values and creating clothing in a more responsible way. I think overall, just like the response to the program that's been just so awesome, we're just trying to expand it in a much bigger way. So um, looking for ways to include recycled materials, not just in this like small assortment of respun tees and sweatshirts, but how do we include um, recycled materials in everything that we're making? So it's been fun to kind of like focus on this value of making clothing more sustainably and using more recycled materials and applying it to, you know, our whole brand. Yeah, that's amazing. So with to take a little step back into the world of e-commerce a bit more and building out your websites <laughs> and all that kind of stuff. What kind of tools do you love using right now? Or are you uh, testing out and you see them really working well with uh, either not just customer acquisition, but conversions or website performance, anything in the nitty gritty that you're like, this is really working well for us? I feel like it's nothing particularly new. Okay. Um, I feel like we've been having more fun with email flows lately <laughs> and like looking okay. at the frequency at which we're sending those um, because it does seem that there's just like an overall appetite to hear from Marine Layer more often. So like we were not sending our abandoned cart emails until two days after, but now I think we've moved that up to a few hours later, um, trying to monitor and see what happens there. Um, I think because we are sending emails more frequently too, looking for more ways to segment our email file so that we can tell like, again, more specific messages to certain audiences. And yeah, I, I think it's not really been, not a lot of new in the last couple of months. It's mostly been focused on looking what we're doing and seeing what we can make better. Yeah. What kind of content are you sending? If you're sending emails more frequently, I'm guessing it can't just be, you know, more product emails or, you know, just the abandoned cart ones. I'm sure you're sending some kind of content that's keeping, you know, the subscriber happy and engaged. How do you think about that when you're sending more emails? Yeah. I mean, some of it's just as simple as like segmenting by, um, uh, product gender. So focusing on sending men's focused emails to uh, people that tend to buy men, men's product and women's uh, focused emails to women's product buyers. Um, but then I also think like a lot of branded messages. I, I think one thing that I love that Marine Layer does um, that I didn't see happening as much um, out there is like sometimes we just send emails with no performance expectations against them. <laughs> um, like we sent a really fun email, uh, fun might be the funny adjective for it, but in March where we just like profiled what our uh, employees were wearing while they were working from home. And That's fun. Yeah, it wasn't even product that we were currently selling. It, we tried to focus on like marine layer product, but you know, our employees tend to have stuff from like two or three years ago. So we more just like wanted to tell a story of like being comfortable and 
trying to find ease and optimism wherever you are. And, um, that, you know, doesn't have, we also send an email usually around father's day or mother's day where we just like, Oh, I love the mother's day one this year. Actually. Um, we all sent in images of FaceTiming with our moms. <laughs> oh, that's cute. <laughs> and just talked about like, we miss you, mom. We love you. And then I think the Father's Day one we did this year was just around like taking uh, vintage images of all of our super cool dad styles um, and sharing them on our email and through our Instagram. Yeah, I love that. That's yeah, really fun. And I will be signing up just to see those kind of emails. All right, cool. So the lightning round is where I'll ask a question and you have a minute or less to answer. Dun, dun, dun. Are you ready? Yes, I'm ready. So this one I'm asking for producer Hillary because she put it on the list. We heard you're a bachelor fan. So who's your favorite <gasps> bachelor or bachelorette? <laughs> oh my God, that's so funny. Um, I love Caitlin Bristow. <laughs> I just love Caitlin Bristow. Yeah, I feel like she kind of like ushered in a new era of, um, of bachelor viewers and um, I love The Bachelor, but then I also really love this funny podcast called um, Here to Make Friends. And it's kind of oh, like a feminist that. take on The Bachelor. And they really, they rank episodes of like things that are like feminist fails. And it's, it's, it's fun. I feel like it, uh, I used to have a lot of roommates and we would all watch it together. And then I got married and I didn't have anyone else that would watch the show with me. So now I got to resort to podcasts. <laughs> I love that. Well, and that's a good transition to what's your favorite podcast that you're listening to? Ooh, um, that's a really hard question. So I, top of my head, I would say like Radiolab and Fresh Air. Those are like easy answers. Um, mm -hmm. But Fresh Air in particular, I love Terry Gross. I just think she asks such thoughtful questions. And I'm always surprised by the content that comes out of her interviews. And some of my favorite ones are kind of with unexpected guests. If anyone hasn't listened to the Jay-Z interview with Terry Gross, go and find it. I think it's from 2013. It's so funny. It's so good. Oh, that sounds good. I'll have to check that one out. What is your favorite learning tool or resource that you leveraged along the way when it comes to learning either about marketing or e-commerce or something like that, where you're like, I constantly think about this book or this article or this person, like who do you look to or what do you look to? Uh, definitely my time at Athleta. <laughs> yeah. I, I would say it's more just like the incredible coaches that I had at Athleta and leaders that I had there that were just incredibly passionate about customer analytics and customer health as a driver of like long-term business health. Um, I mean, I could list off folks, but like Scott Key was our CEO. He's incredible. Mike O'Reilly was our leadership for marketing and e-commerce. Um, and Irene Wong, my boss at the time, like just a really, really powerful, thoughtful team um, that cared so much about the success of Athleta and wanted to just try looking at it a new way. Like they still inspire me all the time. That's amazing. What's up next on your Netflix queue? Ooh, this is embarrassing, but I'm going to say it anyways. How adorable is Babysitter's Club? Is anybody else watching that? I have not watched that yet, but I will have to check it out. I'm down to watch that. Not embarrassing at all. Okay, good. I have a three-year-old little girl and um, I watched Babysitter's Club and it just gave me like a, a little spark of optimism that maybe the world is going to be okay if there's more 13-year-olds in the world that act like the Babysitter's Club. So I'll I throw that, that out there. And then also okay. expecting Amy. We're like two episodes in and that's pretty good. Yep. Yeah, that's funny too. Uh, what app do you have on your phone that you enjoy the most? I mean, this is going to be boring, but probably Google Analytics and Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> that's all right. Hey, those are not boring. I love <laughs> metrics and Instagram, of course, is great. Yeah, I have to handle the Google Analytics. Their app is, um, is very functional. I like that you can do different comparison periods, real-time stuff. It's helpful. Yeah, no, completely agree. 
And then the last one, if you were to create a Netflix original, what would it be about? Fun question. Have thought about this. Um, oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess I feel like I would like for there to be more stories about female professionals mm-hmm. and especially about female professionals that are comfortable being feminine and vulnerable, um, kind of like a Brene Brown take on what it's like to be in a workforce now. And I feel like there's podcasts that I think have done that really well that inspire me a lot, but I'd like to see that story told more. Um, and you know, I'm sick of stories about like working mothers that are balancing their work life and their home life. Like that's too complicated and too much to unpack there, but there is a lot to tell about like just this like new era of vulnerable women in the workforce. And I think a lot of them are moms and I am very inspired by that. Yeah. I would definitely watch that. (laughs) It's been such a fun interview. I loved how deep we got to, uh, get into a lot of things and we will definitely have to have you back for round two. Where can people Find out more about you and Marine Layer. MarineLayer.com. So that's a pretty straightforward one. And then definitely come and visit our stores. Um, and for me, I don't know, send me a DM on Instagram. I'm at Renilo, or you can send me an email at Renee at MarineLayer.com. Cool. It's been a blast. Yeah, thanks for coming on the show. Okay, thanks. It was great talking to you too. Up Next in Commerce is brought to you by Salesforce Commerce Cloud and created by the team at mission.org. Subscribe now at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for checking out another epic hour of business insights and inspiration on the Up Next in Commerce podcast. If you like what you've heard and you're interested in partnering with us to bring your brand to a growing audience of e-commerce experts, reach out to me at stephanie at mission.org to get the conversation started.